Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. We got your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, 14 through 25, as, as Pastor Kevin just, just read. And we're going to dive in in, in, just, uh, in just a moment. Uh, there, there, there are these times in a, in a story where something significant happens and, and, it, and it catches you just completely off guard. So, so a couple of weekends ago, I was, I was back home as, as Pastor Matt preached, uh, and I was back home with family, hanging out with my family, and, and, and I, was, I was talking with my brother-in-law, Pablo, and we were, we were having a, a pretty deep, uh, meaningful uh, conversation about the significance of, of Darth Vader Telling Luke, no, I, I am your father. <laughs> we get pretty deep. Um, actually, Pablo is brilliant. Um, so, so we're having this conversation, and Pablo, he's he's uh, he's five or six years older than me. So he has this vivid memory of being in a theater uh, watching the Empire Strikes Back, and and he's like just soaking it in, and he and like he he has this vivid, vivid memory of getting to that point in the movie where Vader drops that line, and just like shell shocked, looking over at his parents, like what? Like are you kidding me? Just rocked his little five year old world. Uh, we. So I like we forget as a as a you know as a Star Wars fanatic who who watched them a little later, uh, we forget that Empire Strikes Back it it hit the theaters in 1980. But this was this was like three years after the original Star Wars came out. So folks were just waiting for for three years, and people were shocked by this moment, right? Like 40 years later, like everybody knows that Vader is is Luke's father. If you if you didn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you probably should have watched Star Wars by now. It's been four decades, okay? But in the moment, it was the most significant twist in the story. Is we're rolling through Acts. Acts 1.8, Jesus sort of lays out this the, the blueprint, right? In Acts 1.8, he says, But you, you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and so the, whether, whether people realized it or not at the time, the reality of Acts 1.8 was, was unfolding. And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but persecution had scattered the, the, the church throughout Judea. Uh, Matt, uh, Pastor Matt talked about this. I kind of piggybacked on it last week as we looked at, at uh, Philip's, the beginning of his ministry in Samaria. Philip is preaching the gospel, taking the gospel message to the Samaritans. And at this point in Acts 8, as we get to 14 through 25, the world was about to see 
and experience the barrier-shattering magnitude of the gospel. Amen? I don't know if y'all with me this morning. <laughs> They're about to see the power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. And, and so, so don't gloss over this. It, if you're there at the time, right, historically, culturally, ethnically, the, the Samaritans and the Jews did not mix. They did not have dealings with one another. In fact, there was some significant disdain between the two groups. So the Spirit being poured out on the Samaritans was significant. And I would say even pretty, pretty shocking. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I look around right now, People today are so focused on what divides them. Uh, it's like they don't even have a category for what could unite them. I don't even think they have a category for that. But what, they, what that really reveals, especially when that's going on in the church, what that's really revealing is we still don't understand the significance of the gospel. We still don't get it. So I would just ask, as we dive into this passage, what, 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 about, what about you? What are you believing about the power of the gospel? Like, What are you believing about the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit of God? This morning, don't, don't miss the significance. The same Holy Spirit that was at work bringing Jew and Samaritan together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Church, it's the same Spirit that's at work in the world today. Amen? Like, Do we believe that? Or is it like, oh, well, that, that happened back then, but it can't happen today? No. If we say we believe this, then let's live like the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus crucified for sinners, raised victorious over sin and death. Let's live like we believe the gospel is still powerful enough to restore lives and to reconcile, check this out, all people to himself and to one another. Amen? First thing. As we look at Acts, I want to look at three things this morning as we look at verses 14 through 25. The first thing I want to look at this morning is the affirmation. The affirmation. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the affirmation. affirmation. Right, I'm going to get you talking to one another. Hey, you, can't, you come to the 11 o'clock, you got to be, be semi-awake, okay? Look at your other neighbor and say, the affirmation. So, so verse 14 says this, when the apostles at Jerusalem, so they're in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word, they, here, here's what happens. They send the big dogs in. <laughs> they, they, send, they send Peter and John up to Samaria. And interestingly enough, we don't really see the apostle John after this point, but, but here we see Peter and John, and, and we get this sense, church family, that, that they're almost, they're, they're sent on this, this exploratory mission to figure out kind of what, what the heck is going on in Samaria. So verse 15 and 16 say they came down and they prayed for them, the Samaritans, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. But then it says, for he had not yet fallen. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're rolling along, this is where you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, what? 
What is, like, what is going on here? It's like so many things. First of all, is this even normal? Can, can, I, can I just give a definitive answer? No, <laughs> it's not. It's not normal. In fact, Paul says this. If you want to keep your place in Acts, Paul says this in Romans 8, 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul says this in Romans 8, 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And then I think one of the key verses on this is Ephesians 1, 13-14. As Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, he says this. In Him, in Jesus, you also, check this out, when you heard the word of truth. Let me say that again. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Y'all tracking with me? Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory? So this is, church, this is the normative work of the gospel. A person hears the gospel. They, they hear the good news that Jesus is God in human flesh. They hear the good news that, that Jesus uh, lived the perfect life of obedience in our place. They, they hear the good news that Jesus died a sacrificial death for our sin. They, they hear the good news that Jesus gloriously rose from the dead, conquering the victorious over sin and death and upon hearing they believe they believe and they they place all of their trust and their hope in Jesus to rescue them to redeem them to set them free and to restore them to make them right and at this point Paul says in Ephesians 1 13 through 14 the spirit of God seals us now now two things on that one is this, the, the, the picture is one of in, in ancient times when a king took his signet ring and, and dipped it in that wax and sealed a letter. The idea is this, that letter is going to get to its intended destination, amen? Like, like if it doesn't get to its intended destination, you got a problem with the king, which is a, a big deal, especially when that king is God. <laughs> Second thing is this. In verse 14 of Ephesians 1, uh, it says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. In the Greek, it's, it's akin to, to like a down payment, right? He's the down payment of our inheritance. Paul says until we acquire possession of it. So I don't know about you, but like, I, like we can default on our stuff, right? You could lose a job. Something could go down and maybe your deposit, maybe your down payment's not good. God's deposit is a good deposit. Amen. So if God is the one who's put the deposit down, you better believe that it's happening. And so I say all that because some would point to Acts 8 and say, see, this is definitive evidence of a, of a second blessing. This is a, it's an additional step of spirit baptism after someone turns to Jesus. And I would argue the passages that we've just read rule that out. Uh, so so we've got we to figure out what's going on. 
The, the Samaritans, others say that the Samaritans, well, they weren't really true believers, but the context is, is pretty explicit. It says they had received the Word of God. Not only that, they had received the, the, the Word of God, and subsequently, they had been baptized into Christ. So something else is going on here. Now, a couple of caveats couple of caveats that I think are important. Yes, later in Acts, I think when we get to Acts 19, we're going we're gonna to have to deal, we'll look at some followers of John the Baptist in another unique instance of, of the Holy Spirit uh, at, at work. Also, I want to I just say, yes, absolutely, the apostles clearly followed Jesus before Acts 2 in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and permanently indwelled them. They, absolutely, they were following Jesus before that, that point. But clearly, so, so it's in John 20, 22. Jesus, this is before Pentecost. He, he looks at his, his disciples, the, the 12 apostles, and he breathes on them and he says, hey, receive the Holy Spirit. But clearly, in light of Pentecost, what is in view in John's Gospel is not the permanent and in, in, indwelling and abiding of the Spirit of God. What was inaugurated at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was something different. It was something new and extraordinary. The words of Jesus were being fulfilled in front of their eyes. His words from John 14, where He said this in verses 16 through 17, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus talking, and He will give you another helper to be with you, check this out, forever. Forever, even the Spirit of truth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, check this out, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So what is going on in Acts 8.17 when it says that they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What is, what is the significance of what's taking place in Samaria? And, and why, why this need church family for this little apostolic venture up to the north to Samaria to, to check things out? Church, hear me. The apostles were authenticating the Samaritans' share of the gospel. The apostles were affirming the Samaritans' share of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go all the way back to Matthew 16, 17 through 19, God, God had entrusted the apostles, the 12 disciples, with this role of, of he, he said that uh, they had the authority to, to bind, to loose, and, and to build God's church. And we'll see this again with Peter's interaction with the Gentile Roman centurion. But suffice it to say, Peter and John that day were connecting the gospel dots for everyone to see. See, if you go, back, if you go forward in Acts 15, what you realize is there is this decidedly Jewish flavor and influence over the early church. And 
As we, went, as we rolled through Acts 6, remember, we've already seen this at work. In Acts 6, as we talked about de- the, the, the early kind of proto-deacons that were appointed, we see that in, in Acts 6, the, they, they were overlooking the Hellenistic widows, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. So already we'd seen this, we saw this tension, this kind of ethnic and cultural tension in the early church. But church... Here's where I'm going with this. Don't lose sight of that Philip was one of the original seven deacons. Philip, one of the OG deacons, was a Hellenist himself. He was a Greek-speaking Jew. And there would have been those who would have doubted, and they would have downplayed, and they would have denigrated his ministry to the Samaritans. Are y'all with me? The Samaritans. See, the, these, were, these were the half-breeds, right? The, these were the impure blood. I, man, I completely butchered this illustration in the first service. And my, See, my kids love Harry Potter, and I, and I butchered this illustration, and they called me out on it because they, they said, Dad, it's because you've only read the first three books. I'm like, I've watched the movies, and they inform me that doesn't count. Um, my kids love all things Harry Potter, and this last week we we had a we had a um, we had a tragedy that happened in the house. Um, Titus, our thirdborn son, uh, his official Universal Studios Harry Potter wand uh, was on the floor, got stepped on, it broke in half. There were some tears shed, um, but in in Harry Potter. There was this derogatory term that was used for anyone who didn't have pure blood. What they, y'all know what they called them? They called them mudbloods, right? They called them mudbloods. And so often, Harry and Ron would come to, to the defense of, of their, their friend Hermione as, as she was being ridiculed as a mudblood. See, little did you guys know that, that Harry Potter, unbeknownst to us, was giving us a, a picture of the gospel by incorporating a, a mudblood into his squad, right? So, see, my, like, I grew up, and, and my mom was, like, you know, wizardry, like, magic, stuff like that. It didn't fly in the house. But so I'm like, Mom, see, it's cool. Gospel picture. Church, to the full-blooded Israelites, Samaritans were mixed blood. Samaritans, because, see, the Samaritans had intermarried with the Gentile nations during the northern tribes of Israel's captivity. And so the almost completely Israelite church could have easily blown off Greek-speaking Jewish Philip's ministry to the despised Samaritans. But check this out. When Peter and John, when they stepped on the scene, it instantly validates what God is doing. Amen? It instantly validates what God is doing. And listen, church, we, we have got to understand context. We get in serious trouble when, when we miss the significance of this event and try to generalize, uh, in my opinion, generalize these verses, it, what, what happened in these verses, and make it normative for the church today. That's just not the case. Here, here's the deal. 
Let me tell you what God was doing. God was deliberate. He deliberately delayed the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that the apostles' affirmation would leave no doubt. Y'all, y'all hearing that? God intentionally delayed, deliberately delayed the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that the apostles' affirmation would leave no doubt. It connected the gospel of Peter and John with the gospel of Philip and the entire church took note. The entire church took note and they knew that God is no respecter of persons. Amen? Amen. And the world was His mission field and He was uniting Jew and Samaritan in Christ. Second thing this morning as we look at verses 18 through 24, we've seen the affirmation. Here we see the antagonist. Once you look at your neighbor, say, the antagonist. Okay, look at your other neighbor. Don't call him an antagonist, but just say, the antagonist. They're not calling you the antagonist. Maybe they are. See, whether, as you look at verses 18 through 24, whether, whether, you, whether he realized it or not, Simon at this point was directly opposing the work of the Holy Spirit by, by seeking to manipulate and control the Spirit of God. Like, oh, oh, the irony of verse 18. Because look at verse 18. It says, Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So he's like, oh, this is the formula, right? Man, they, they laid their hands, the Spirit came, like, give me that. Like, that, I've, I've got it. That's the formula. But check this out. As you look at Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, the Spirit of God just fell very, very visibly and very demonstrably among among all that were gathered. Then here in Acts 8, it's through the prayer of the apostles and the laying on of hands. You get to Acts 9, it's just, it's Paul and Ananias in a room together. Ananias ministers and shares the gospel, and Paul receives the Holy Spirit. And then in Rome, in, in, in Acts 11, as Peter shares with the Roman centurion, he shares the gospel, and all who's present, the Holy Spirit falls on them as the gospel is being preached and spoken. And I would argue that this, that is what would become the normative pattern. The normative pattern in God's church. But see, Simon wanted the formula. He goes, he goes so far as, as to even offer them money. Which we'll, we'll look at Peter's pretty, pretty stern response in a, in, a, in a minute. But before you scoff, at the ridiculousness of trying to purchase the power in the presence of God. Before, before you, you, we like laugh off the ridiculousness of that, just think about the state of the church 500 years ago before the Reformation. Everything was for sale. Everything was, everything was monetized. You could buy indulgences. You could buy your loved ones out of purgatory. You could buy a, a, a church, a leadership office within the church. You could buy your way into heaven. Simon wanted that. He, he wanted the power. And he goes so far as to offer money. He wanted the power, which is maybe an indicator that that, that power did not reside within him. Simon 
He didn't understand that the Holy Spirit is not our personal genie. Amen? The Holy Spirit's not our personal genie. One of my favorite, like you can tell, I got five, I got five kids, uh, 11 and under, so, so one, of my, one of my favorite all-time Disney uh, characters is, is, is Robin Williams' rendition of genie, right, and Aladdin. Will Smith Aladdin is good. Robin Williams, I'm sorry, he's, he's incredible. Compassionate, caring, he's also very blue. Also got a fantastic, uh, you know, he's a gifted singer. But his sole purpose for, ex- for existence in the movie is to be at your beck and call. That's what, that's what he exists for, to grant you whatever you desire, however you desire it, when you desire it. Tony Marita says it like this, the Holy Spirit isn't for sale. The Spirit of God is not for sale. The prerogative to give the Holy Spirit belongs to God. We can't purchase salvation. You can't purchase the gifts of God. He isn't, Marita says this, He isn't our personal genie. He is our omnipotent Lord. So we, we can't put the Spirit of God in a box. We, we want the formula. We want to we hijack control. But one thing is certain, God will not be mocked. We, we may attempt to use God, the Spirit of God, for our benefit or for our power. Uh, and we may, we may be able to fool others, but we cannot and we will not fool God. As you look at verse 20 through 24, verse 20 through 24 consists of, of Peter, <laughs> and we got kids present, essentially saying to H E double hockey sticks with your money. Peter's strong rebuke at, at, at most leaves serious doubts as to the authenticity of Simon's faith. At the very least, it shows that Simon's off to a pretty terrible theological start in his young faith, okay? But Peter says, you have no part or lot in this matter. In what matter? In the matter of the Holy Spirit. And and in verse 21, he points out that the issue is Simon's heart. And he he points out the, the wickedness in his heart. And he calls him to repentance, much like he called the lost crowd to repentance in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And then finally, Peter, he He points to Simon's continued bondage to sin and he calls him to pray to the Lord only for Simon to turn around and ask Peter, hey, will you pray to God for me? And so, church, whether or not Simon was a genuine believer, maybe that may be up for debate, but what is not up for debate is this. Check this out. That even the Christian, even a Christian can stifle the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Y'all with me? So Paul says this. He says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the the Spirit. And then he would tell the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Church, listen, Christian, Christian, hear me. You cannot, you cannot be surrendered to the Spirit of God while you're sabotaging His lead. 
You cannot be surrendered to God while you're sabotaging His lead. If you're not surrendered to what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish in your life, areas of obedience He wants you to walk in to bring your life in a, like under the, the authority of the Word of God, if, you, if you're not submitting to the Spirit's leading in your life and in the lives of others, you may be the antagonist. You may actually be working against what God is trying to raise up and accomplish. Here's here's the application. Christian, God is at work all around you. Amen? Like whether you feel that or like God is at work all around. He's at work in Bryan in College Station. He is is reconciling quote-unquote Samaritans to himself all around us. Right? Whoever the Samaritan is to you. Question is, what is your role in that? What is your role in that? If your pursuit of God, hear me, if your pursuit of God is only about you, you may be a Simon. And you may need to heed Peter's words, repent and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Third thing this morning is this. As we look at verse 25, we see the action. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the action. Look at your other neighbor and say, the action. Awesome. Verse 25 acts as sort of a, a bookend to verse 14. So 14 and 25 are, are, are these bookends. And what they do is they connect. They, they help us make the Jerusalem-Samaria connection. They help us to see where we are in the unfolding of Acts 1-8. And though verse 14 may... Listen, we, we, can't, we can't gloss over verse 25. Because though verse 14 may seem like it, it started as sort of this fact-finding mission, this exploratory mission, let's see what's going on in Samaria, let's, let's see what, the, what God's doing, and they end up affirming what's, what was happening, the gospel movement. But look at verse 25. Because by, by this point, it, says, it, it finds the apostles, they're preaching the gospel to many, many villages of the Samaritans. In the Greek, that, that word many, it means, it means many. <laughs> it means a whole lot. A whole lot of Samaritan towns and villages were getting hit with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the apostles move from affirming the work to leading the charge. Leading the charge and sharing Jesus with the Samaritans. And this was powerful. See, the apostles' witness all over Samaria was demonstrating, church, that the dividing wall was down. It was down. And the call was now to go. Church, think about about that. Think about their action in light, in light of their previous disposition toward the Samaritans. If you go back and look in John 4, and the, the disciples shock that Jesus would even be talking to a Samaritan woman. <laughs> My personal favorite in Luke 9, 51 through 54. <laughs> It says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
He sent messengers ahead of him who, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Luke 9.53 But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Is that cool? Like, simmer down, John. All right? Lord, can we just smoke these guys? <laughs> like, What? What is happening, John? That was John. Hey, let's rain fire down on this Samaritan village. And now, the apostles' action and their preaching were testifying to, Derek Thomas says, to an unbounded global community of faith. Amen? Not, not limited by temp, temporal distinctions like geography or culture. There are certain things, church family, listen, that should move us to action. There are certain things that should move us to action. It's, it's like this. There, there's a certain song that's, that's played often, right? And like, I can know that this song is about to be played, right? I could even resolve in my mind, man, like, I am not, I'm not going to respond to this song. Like, even though it has been played 40 billion times, like, it, the, over the last three decades at every sporting event known to man, when House of Pain's Jump Around comes on, like, I may have resolved that I'm not going to like go into action but like I'm just like all right let's go and the vertical's not the same but I might start jumping like it just moves me to action listen the gospel should move you to action amen the gospel should move you to action church family hear me please the gospel is enough it is enough, but if the gospel that you've placed your belief and hope in doesn't cause you to be reconciled with all people, you may need to check your gospel. Maybe a false gospel. Church, the gospel should drive us to action to be reconciled with all people. Let me say that again all people. Not just people who look like you. Not just people who talk like you. Not just people from the same socioeconomic bracket as you. Not, not just people for the, with the same history and culture and ethnicity as you. Not just people with the same ideology as you. Not just people with the same politics of you. Daryl Bach says this as the train comes through. Daryl Bach says, crossing racial and ethnic lines with the message of the hope of the gospel, with the message of hope and taking the initiative to do so, are part of the church's initiative. They're part of our calling. We say that again. Crossing racial and ethnic, and I would add all these other lines with the message of hope and taking the initiative to do so, are part of the church's calling. Amen? See, we, we all love 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Like, I'm a new creation in Christ. Like we, like, we cut that out, like, pull it out of context. We're like, frame it up on the wall. I'm a new creation in Christ, man. I'm a new, I'm, I'm a new creation. And, we, and it's, all, it's all about us, but we ignore the next two verses, 
Because the next two verses in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 say, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, check this out, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Christian, you are saved to be set apart. You are saved to be set apart. You, you have been reconciled to God through Jesus, and you are now a minister of reconciliation. And if you're not, you are not following the Jesus of Scripture. I'll close, I'll close with this this morning. I'll close with this. Listen, we, we, are, we are in a season where, where every day people, people are checking the news. Right? They're, they're checking social media for, for the next significant thing that's been said or the next significant thing that's been done. What's, what's the latest on COVID? What's the latest on the other side's political candidate or event? What significant thing happened in regard to race or in regard to culture? What conflict has taken place? What, what tragedy has transpired? And, and hear me, don't hear what I'm not saying. Please, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that these things aren't significant because they are. But their significance pales in comparison to the significance of the good news of Jesus Christ for the world. Amen? And tomorrow's big deal is not as big of a deal as the Spirit of God at work in the world. Have we forgotten that the gospel is still the power of God to save those who are lost in their sin? Have we forgotten that the Holy Spirit is still at work drawing people to God? Church, we need to wake up. Like the world needs Jesus, but we we've the church has lost sight of its role of reconciliation. We we've forfeited our place, we've abandoned our place, we've lost our voice because we don't understand our role of reconciliation. Maybe listen. Maybe you'd rather rain down fire on your enemies like the, like the, the, the old John instead of sharing the good news of Jesus like the John of Acts 8. God, help us. Let us come back to the thing of most significance that Jesus reconciles us to God and to one another. Y'all pray with me this morning.